Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to God. If you're ever in the Madison area, we'd love for you to stop by and study the Bible with us on Sundays at 5 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, you can find us online at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our sermons podcast, Madison Church of Christ Sermons. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope this study is a blessing to you. I'm excited to be able to introduce our speaker, Steve Smith. He's the preaching minister over at the Beltline Congregation in uh, Decatur, Alabama. Steve actually was uh, raised in Arizona, spent a little time in California, and then eventually made his way back yonder here to Alabama, and uh, is now in his 10th year of preaching there at Beltline. He and his wife, Cindy, have been married for 25 years and have two children, Clay, who uh, just will be heading into his sophomore year at Auburn, and uh, his daughter, also Julie, who will be a senior this year in high school. Steve and I were able to spend a little time together uh, before he started. He came over here to, to speak to us tonight, and uh, he's also retired collegiate basketball player. Is that how you wanted that worded? Something like that, yeah. Uh, Steve's a great guy. He's a hard worker, has a great passion for teaching, so I'm excited uh, for him to be able to spend some time with us tonight. Steve? Appreciate that. Glad to be with you tonight. I, uh, whew, I'm a little hot. You turn me down just a little bit. That would be great. Now, you don't want to hear that because when I get excited, my voice goes way up here and it's going to be bad for everybody. I'm so grateful to be with you. I do bring my greetings from Decatur, Alabama and the Beltline Church of Christ. So many connections that we share in the family of God, but especially being so close. Project Rescue is near and dear to our heart, just like it is to yours. We have Presnells in Decatur. Uh, but somehow you guys got the good-looking ones, and we got the others. And so, uh, but we're, I'm so glad to get to be with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want you to be opening with me to John 13. It's where we're going to spend our time this evening as we talk about the way of God. And uh, I hope that after we're done that there will be something that you can take with you, that this will be an encouragement to you. At the same time, I want this to be a challenge to you. I, I think the church does best when she's challenged. And so I want to leave you with some of that tonight as well. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What signs can you show us? Why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? Where did this man get all of this wisdom? Why do you not follow the traditions of the elders? By what authority are you doing these things? Should we pay tribute to Caesar? Are you the king of the Jews? Make no doubt about it, everywhere that Jesus went, and people can say a lot of things about Jesus, and they have said a lot of things about Jesus, but there can be no doubt that his actions and his teachings raised questions everywhere that he went, questions like we just shared with you. And the reality is there's so many other questions uh, that Jesus caused people to ask, right? When he was teaching and preaching and walking this earth, there were so many questions that people had uh, wherever he went. And Jesus, well, he had his own share of questions too, didn't he? Jesus would say, well, who do you say that I am? Do you believe in the Son of, the, uh, Son of Man? Can you drink the cup? that I'm going to drink. How do the scribes say that the Messiah is David's son? Couldn't you keep watch with me for a single hour? 
Right? Everywhere Jesus went, not only was he raising questions, but he was asking questions. And these questions are questions because something is going on with Jesus that demands a collapse of categories, a breaking of boundaries, a, a, a widening of worldviews, right? And the reason there were so many questions in both directions is simply because of this truth. Jesus didn't fit. Jesus didn't fit any of the man-made or ready-made categories that were out there uh, for him to fit into. He just didn't fit. He didn't fit those categories that were already there. Now, in some ways he fit, but in other ways he absolutely didn't. Think about it this way. So one of the categories that they had that Jesus kind of fit in but didn't fit in was this concept they had of the Messiah, right? The Messiah, Jesus wasn't doing the things that they expected the Messiah to do, right? Eating with tax collectors, uh, touching the untouchable. He was doing all of these things that were so, in their minds, anti-Messianic. And yet, at the same time, Jesus is doing some, some things that are irresistibly Messianic. In fact, one of the Gospel writers, uh, quoting one of these people, says, when the Son of David actually comes, will he do more signs than this? And so he didn't fit the Messiah category, but yet he did fit the Messiah category. And, and there's other categories like rabbi, right? Clearly, he wasn't simply a rabbi with a def different message, and yet he was a rabbi. He was interpreting and expounding the scriptures, and he was applying them urgently uh, to what he believed was their moment of fulfillment in him. We could go on. We could talk about how he fits the category of priest, and yet he doesn't fit the category of priest, and how he's a prophet, but he's so much more than that. The bottom line is he filled all of these categories so full. This is, this is why the questions came. Because he filled these categories so full that they overflowed. And in that overflow, he overwhelmed his followers and his hearers. And I think we would be hard-pressed to find a great, greater example of Jesus' category-shattering greatness and what the way of God actually is than what we read here in John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, again, let's open together here to John chapter 13. Let me remind you of some things here. Jesus is giving his guys what is called the new commandment. This new commandment that Jesus gave was a commandment that was to replace all other commands. And what does Jesus tell them? He says, I want you to love, I want you to give, and I want you to serve each other as Jesus has loved and served and given to them. And this new commandment that Jesus gives is our high calling as well. This wasn't just something for the disciples then. That high calling that he gave them is the same high calling that we have. So as we consider the way of God tonight, let's not forget this new commandment that replaces all other commandments that we would love the way he loved. I need you to remember something as we think through this. I, I want you to think about this. And here's maybe a challenge for you. I think sometimes we are, we are good for goodness sake, right? Sometimes we decide we're going to behave a certain way, we're going to act a certain way because of the benefits that come from acting that way. But you're not actually loving or actively loving God or following the way of God if you're not leveraging that goodness and that integrity beyond yourself. And that's a loaded statement, and there's a whole lot more that we could talk about. But just remember this as we get started looking at John 13. Just remember that Jesus had an end game in mind. And his end game was not just to demonstrate the law, right? He didn't just come to keep the law. 
No, what Jesus came to do was to demonstrate the love of God. So his end game wasn't just to keep the law of God, it was to demonstrate the love of God. In fact, he wanted to demonstrate the love of God in such a way that you and I would embrace that way of living and that it would become our end game as well. Is it possible to do good, to do any good? Is it possible to be good without doing any good? Unfortunately, it is, right? But I would tell you that's not a good idea. So if we consider tonight the way of God and the high call of His Word on our lives, let's turn our attention now to John 13. And let's just read a few verses together beginning with verse 1. John chapter 13 Verse 1, here's what it says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper... He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, these verses say so much. And sadly, when we often look at this section of Scripture, these are some of the verses that we just kind of gloss over uh, to get to what we believe is the heart of this section of Scripture. But these verses say so much. And one of the first things that these verses say is this, that Jesus loved them to the end, right? At the end of this chapter, he's going to say, I need you to love the way that I've loved. I need you to give the way I've given. I need you to serve the way I served. And what does he say here? It says that he loved them to the end. Maybe your version says he loved them to the uttermost. And really what he's saying is there's nothing that love could do for them that Jesus had not already done or was already doing for them. He loved them to the very end. He loved them to the uttermost. Remember, there's no category out there that really can contain Jesus, right? Not even the greatest and highest definition of love can fully capture our category-shattering Savior. The greatest definition of, of love out there doesn't fully uh, capture who Jesus is. The greatest definition of, of grace out there doesn't truly capture who He is. And verse 3, I think, gives us an even fuller picture. It says, The Word, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, became flesh, and He laid aside the clothes of glory, and He put on human nature in order to wash our feet. The text said He had come from God and He was going to God. And the point, this is so important, the point that's being made here is not, despite the fact that he had come from God and was going back to God, he washed their feet. That's not the point. No, the point is this. The point is washing their feet is what he had to do because he had come from God and he was going back to God. So let me expand on that for just a second. I want you to think about, and this scripture really does tell us, what was on Jesus' mind before he rose up and washed their feet. And I think this is really important. I want this to, to really kind of sink into your hearts and into your minds tonight. So what was on Jesus' mind? Well, if we look at those first three or four verses, we see three things. We see that Jesus, first and foremost, knew that his time had come, that his hour had come. Up to this point in the Gospels, it was always, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. I'm not going to do that. My time has not yet come. But now, Jesus knows that his hour had come. 
The second thing that we see in these verses is that Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands, right? So not only did he know that his hour was here, he knew that God had given him all authority, that all of this was now in his hands. And finally, the text tells us, he knew that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. Those were the things that Jesus Christ was thinking about right before he did what he did. And what did he do? With those things on his mind, what did he do? Well, he rose. He got up. He rose to stoop. He, he got up and he served. He showed his disciples who God was by serving. Because that's the way of God. And that's the heart of God too, isn't it? Philippians chapter 2, you're, you're familiar with this section of Scripture, uh, verses 5 through 8, but it says something significant about our Savior. It says, Have this mind also among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And, and what, what Paul is telling us is something really important about God. This passage shows us that this is who God was before he took on human flesh. In fact, it was this truth about the nature of God that led to the incarnation in the first place. You see, Jesus wasn't just a servant while he walked the earth. He has always been a servant. And so it makes sense as we talk about what is the way of God that this be the place that we look the Scripture says that Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into His hands, washed the disciples' feet. And you need to know, only Jesus would link those two thoughts together. Because that's who He was. That's what it's all about. Only Jesus would link that truth with that action in that way. You see, Jesus wasn't being good simply for goodness' sake. No, He was showing us the very nature of and character of God himself. He, he's not good to gain some reward. He's not, he's not going to serve a little while now so that he can have all this power later. That's not the motivation of Jesus. No, when he served, he was doing what comes naturally. Jesus is teacher. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Lord. But none of those titles rule out his identity as servant. So if you want to be more like Christ, if you want to know the way of God... And like Jesus, you have to serve. Jesus measured greatness by service. Have you ever asked or wondered, why is that so hard for us to take in? Why is that so hard for us? I think we know that it's true in our heads, but man, sometimes it's just really hard to put into practice, right? The reality is there are some categories that we need Jesus to shatter in our own lives as well. And rest assured, we're not alone. It's all the disciples. They're all thinking the same thing as Jesus does this. You know, they have had this conversation on the road about who was going to be the greatest, and so Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson. Can you, can you imagine what they may have been thinking? So here they are. They've just had this conversation about who's going to be the best and who's going to be greatest, and now nobody's washing their feet, and they're probably looking around at each other and saying, okay, what's going to happen next? And, and maybe in their own minds, they're thinking, well, if I take the initiative, if I get up and I become the foot washer, then I'm taking the slave spot, I'm taking the lowest spot, and I'm losing that argument we just had on the road about who would be the greatest. 
Because I can't be the greatest and wash these feet. And can you imagine? Can you imagine maybe the, the back and forth uh, that might have taken place between Matthew and, and the zealot? Right? One who worked for Rome, one who wanted to overthrow Rome. Can you imagine? Here's, here's, here's Matthew, the tax collector, thinking, well, I hope the zealot gets up and starts washing feet. And the zealot's thinking, well, it's obvious it's the tax collector who's the lowest on the social ladder. We all know it, so why doesn't he just get up and do it? Can you imagine? I'm not saying that happened, but can you imagine the thoughts that were rolling around in their heads? And can you imagine the, the gasp when Jesus, when Jesus gets up and he wraps the towel around his waist and he begins to serve in that capacity? Can you imagine? Verse 6 of John chapter 13. He came to Simon Peter. Oh, this is so important. I really want you to get this tonight. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Now, if you underline or circle or do those kind of things, highlight in your Bible, I really need you to highlight what Jesus says next. Jesus says, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Oh, that's big. We'll talk about that in just a second. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? Peter objects to Jesus washing his feet. Would you have? Would you object to Jesus washing your feet in that situation? My guess is most of us would. I'm actually surprised that Peter's the only one that said, whoa, 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 you're not doing this to me. You remember when I was a kid, <laughs> my mom would come to me and say, hey, Steve, I need you to go wash the dishes. And I'd be like, oh, man, I don't want to wash the dishes. And she was like, forget it, I'll do it, right? And so she would get mad and do that. I can kind of see that here. Nobody's, Jesus gets up to start washing feet, right? And they're like, okay, fine, Jesus, we'll do it. But that doesn't happen, does it? There's nobody that steps to the plate and takes that spot. And Peter, Peter objects. He says, this can't happen. Here's why. Peter has a category that Jesus was supposed to fit in, right? He, he has an idea, he has a box that he's put Jesus in, and his box, his category for Jesus did not include serving in this capacity. You see, in Peter's mind, the Messiah didn't wash feet. In Peter's mind, the Messiah is served. He's not a servant, and so for Jesus to do this was absolutely absurd to Peter. But why? Why was it absurd? It shouldn't have been because Jesus had modeled this throughout his entire life and ministry. It seems that Peter is embarrassed by Jesus' conduct. And what he's really saying by his refusal is, Jesus, leaders don't act this way. I mean, get on your feet, man. This is no way for the Messiah to act the whole thing, the whole thing is unacceptable to Peter. But what Jesus shows us is that what is really unacceptable is Peter's attitude and Peter's mindset. 
Did you hear what he said? I ask you to underline it, highlight it, circle it, memorize it, do whatever you need to do. But he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So here's what's happening. Peter is refusing to accept the spirit of service maintained by Jesus. And he tells him, Peter, you cannot reject that spirit and have any part with me. This isn't a threat. This is a declaration of fact. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, there is only one God, and he is a serving God, and if you reject that, you have nowhere else to go. You have no other recourse. There's nothing else for you. To reject service is to reject God. This is what he's saying. It's huge. It's huge. So as you think about that in your own life, how often are we grabbing the towel figuratively and washing feet? And how often are we expecting to be served? Question worth considering. Let's read a little bit further. We'll go back to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. Although he doesn't fully fit those categories, does he? He does, but he doesn't. He's so much more than that. Verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so Jesus, in this section of Scripture, talks about giving them really an example to copy, an example to follow. He says, I want you guys to do what I did. Now, please understand that this isn't just about foot washing, per se. There's a, there's a whole lot more to it than that. This is about humbling ourselves. This is about emptying ourselves uh, for the sake of others. You see, this whole Christianity thing that we're a part of, this whole Christianity thing that we're doing, it isn't just about the people of God coming together to talk about Him once a week or twice a week if you're really godly. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about serving others just as He served us. It's about demonstrating the love of God. Because you can have all the knowledge in the world, you can study the Bible backwards and forwards, but if you don't have love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you've missed the point. Christianity is about demonstrating the love of God. Now, why? Why does Jesus teach these guys this lesson? It wasn't just because they didn't completely have it all figured out yet. I'm sure that's part of it, but that wasn't the whole of it. There's more. I think Jesus knew that for the rest of their lives, they were going to be standing in front of spiritually starving crowds who needed the gospel, and he wanted them to know just how willing and how able he was willing to go, how far he was willing to go, to feed and serve those multitudes. 
He needs them to be willing to be servants too because if, if they're just expecting to be served, they'll never reach the crowds the way that he's calling them to reach the crowds. They'll never make a disciple who can make another disciple if all they do is want to be served. And so Jesus has to teach them this lesson. And this is that new commandment we talked about at the very beginning, isn't it? Love people the way I've loved you. Serve people the way I've served you. Give to people the way I give to you. Jesus says it is this action. This action is what's going to define my disciples. Does that define you? Loving, giving, and serving the way Jesus... Does that define you as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Verse 34 and 35, John 13, a new commandment I give you. Here it is, just so we're all on the same page. That you love one another as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you actually do this thing, if you actually demonstrate it, if you actually live it out every single day. Now, I kind of skipped this, so let me come back to it just quickly here. Judas... Judas is going to go and make arrangements to betray the one that loved him to the end right after this event. In fact, right in the middle of this event. After Jesus washes his feet, he goes out and makes those arrangements. It seems to me that seeing Jesus do this was the last straw for Judas. Because again, he had a box that the Messiah was supposed to fit in. And Jesus fit that box, but then he didn't fit that box. And then he fit that box, and then he didn't fit this box. But when the Messiah goes out and serves this way, when he's washing dirty feet like a common slave, Judas says, that's it. I'm done. Here's my opportunity. I'm going to go out, and I'm going uh, to get 30 pieces of silver out of this deal. Isn't it interesting how evil creeps in between the cracks at the very moment when love is going to the limits. Isn't that what our enemy always does, right? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. Such a powerful section of Scripture. But here's the question. All right, what's in it for us? What are the takeaways that we're supposed to get and apply to our lives as we look at John chapter 13? Because if we're not making application, if we're not, if we're not taking things away and saying, I, I've got to do something different with my life, then it's just words on a page and it's really not going to make much difference. But if we see, okay, here's what Jesus did. Now, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for the reality that I'm in right now? What does that mean for my current context wherever I am? Now we're starting to put our faith into action. Now we're starting to start to be molded more into, the, into the, the image of Jesus Christ. And so we've got to find the takeaways. And there's lots and lots and lots of them. I just want to share three with you tonight. Three takeaways from this section of Scripture. And I think the first one is really important. Jesus continues to be and will always be a category-shattering Savior. Right? There is no category that you can put Jesus in where he's going to perfectly fit. He's bigger than those categories. So we can say, uh, you know, God fits in this little box, but he says the box can't contain me. It can't hold me. I'm a category-shattering Savior, and that's exactly who he is. And, and we hear people, right? We hear people say things like this, well, well, Jesus could never love me, or Jesus could never forgive me after what I have done. And when somebody says something like that, they're being exactly like those religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're trying to limit a limitless Savior. And here's the problem. 
when we limit Jesus, we end up with a warped picture of who he is. We end up with a watered-down version of Jesus. We end up with a warped picture of who he is. Why could these religious leaders not make the decision to follow Jesus? It wasn't just because they didn't want to lose their power. I'm certainly that's part of it. They couldn't follow him because they had a category that the Messiah was supposed to fit into that Jesus didn't perfectly fit. They had a warped picture of who it was they were thinking about following. And the sad reality is this. People today refuse and reject Jesus, but they're often not rejecting the Jesus of the Bible. They're rejecting the picture of God that someone, somewhere, along the line has painted for them. Uh, someone has thrown Jesus in a box and says, that's who he is, and people are rejecting that. They're not rejecting Jesus, and if they would just spend some time with him, if they would just spend some time with him, man, things could be different. And it's not just unbelievers. Some of us, we go to church every Sunday hoping to get something from God to get us through our week. I just, it may, I got to go to the midweek service so I can just get that, that, that push that I need. Uh, to, that maybe God can give me something that'll, that'll get me through my week. And I just suggest to you today, God doesn't want to give you something to get you through your week. He wants to be your week. He wants to be your week. He wants to be everything. He wants to be everything. And this wrong view that we have of God can become a wall for us church people. It can become a, a wall for us church-going people especially that keeps us from what God desires most for us. Why didn't Jesus do many mighty miracles in his hometown? Because they had a vision of who Jesus was, and when he didn't fit that vision, they said, nope, can't do it. They didn't believe, right? They had a warped view. I think it's time for us to allow God to shatter these categories, these boxes that we often put him in, and just let him be God. Let him be who he is. And that leads me to maybe the most important takeaway of the evening. We're going to have to spend some time here. We, as the people of God, cannot reject the nature of the master and at the same time maintain that we are his followers. Let me explain what I mean by that. We cannot reject the nature of the master and at the same time maintain that we are his followers. And the nature of God is that of service. And to follow Jesus means that little by little, we are being changed to be more like him. It means less of us and more of Jesus is, in the, goal, is the goal, right? Let me decrease so that he can increase. Now, no doubt we're going to have our struggles. No doubt we're, we're going to get this wrong regularly. But, but hopefully those are just going to be moments and not, not the whole of it, right? Let's not be Peter in this story rejecting the service of the king because we don't like the implications of what it means. Peter and the rest of the apostles, for that matter, are still stuck on being the greatest and they have their own idea of what greatness means. And so when Jesus says, the greatest serve, they don't want that definition. Do you want that definition? It's clear from the text 
that these guys followed Jesus at least partially because they thought great fame and prestige were going to come to it, come with it. At least partially. So when Jesus serves the way a common slave would serve, Peter rejects it because he doesn't want to have to do it. He, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be served, not serve. And so we can't be Peter in this story. And so you may be here tonight. You may be boss. You may be CEO. You may be upper management. You may be elder. You may be preacher. You may be ministry leader. But none of those titles that you have or that you've gained should ever rule out your identity, first and foremost, as a servant. And it shouldn't rule out that for me either. I heard this not too long ago, and it stuck with me. I don't remember where I heard it, but it, it just keeps popping up into my head. When you commit to follow Jesus, you can't live a life that confuses people. Understand what I mean by that? How might we as Christians live a life that confuses others? By living a life that looks nothing like His. That's how we confuse people. And we are never going to be perfect like Jesus, but as we walk with Him more and more, shouldn't we begin to take on His attributes? The attributes of service, the attributes of forgiveness, the attributes of humility and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self Shouldn't those things become a part of who we are the more that we walk with Him? And when we live for ourselves and we live for people to serve us, and yet call ourselves followers of Jesus, that's just confusing. So let's not confuse people by saying one thing and then living a different way. Jesus, Jesus had every right to demand to be served, and yet He does the opposite. He serves. Jesus didn't come so that the knee would be bent to Him. He came to bend the knee to humanity. And Jesus doesn't just teach this with his words. He teaches this with his actions. This is what John 13 is all about. And Jesus' desire is that you and I, that we would jump at every opportunity to bend a knee and serve like he did. This is the way of God. Sound like the Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the way of God. Service. So, question. Who bends the knee to whom? In your world, in your circle of influence, who bends the knee to whom? Who bends the knee in your workplace? Who bends the knee to whom in your school? Who bends the knee to whom in your friendships? and your family? Who bends the knee to whom in your marriage? Guys, my guess is, let me talk to you for a second. My guess is that when you ask your wife to marry her, that you got down on one knee, you bent the knee, and you asked for his ha her hand. Are you still bending the knee? Jesus was a knee-bender. He had scuffed knees from all the knee-bending he did. What do yours look like? 
do we expect the knee to be bent for us? And if we expect the knee to bend for us, we will be nothing like Jesus. And we'll confuse the world around us. But if we're willing to shift our focus and get low, man, I just want to tell you, bending the knee can change everything. If you want to strengthen your marriage, bend the knee. You want to improve a relationship with your child, bend the knee. You want to deepen your friendships, bend the knee. You want to impact your school, bend the knee. You want to improve the sports team that you're on, the band that you're in, bend a knee. You want to make a difference at your job, bend the knee. You want to strengthen this church? Then stop asking for everybody to bow to you and bend the knee to people around you. You want to change the world. And you got to do what Jesus did. And you got to bend the knee. Listen, I struggle with this. My guess is I'm not alone. I hope I'm not alone or I'm just preaching to myself tonight and that's okay. But man, I struggle with this. I want... I want people to bend the knee to me. I, I want them to serve my needs. I want them to make me tall, taller than I already am. Bending the knee, you know what? Bending the knee takes effort. Bending the knee expends energy. Bending the knee, man, it's sometimes it's really inconvenient. And it often goes against every impulse inside of us, right? And here's the worst thing about bending the knee. You want to hear what it is? Sometimes when you do it, it goes completely unnoticed. Right? But it's the difficulty of it that proves its value. It's the difficulty of it that proves its importance. So Jesus says, you want to be great? and serve. Bend the knee. Finally, third takeaway. Jesus is still a category-shattering Savior. We cannot reject the nature of Master and maintain that we're His. Man, and Jesus continues to love to the uttermost. I want to leave on this high note. I want to leave on this thought. I want this to be what you take. Well, I want you to take the whole service thing too, but, but this is really what I want, you to, I want you to take with you too, right? Jesus continues to love to the uttermost. When the text says that he loved them to the end, you are included in them. And so are they. You know who they is, right? They are those that you've given up on. They are those that aren't like you. They don't look like you or talk like you or think like you or vote like you. They're, they're just they. He loves them too. He loves them to the uttermost. He loves everyone in this entire creation. C.S. Lewis said this, Though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. And let me, let, let me just finish with this. I need you to know tonight that God is the source. He's the source of love. He acts in love. He only acts in love. He never reacts. <laughs> he doesn't have to. He, he acts in love. His love is not connection to our actions. Jesus couldn't love me any more than he does right now. And he couldn't, he, he's not going to love me any less if I, if I run out of here and do some silly things on the way home. His love is complete. His love is without motive. It's not connected to my actions. Man, that's important. 
It's important for our kids to hear. It's important for our people to hear. Even when you mess up, he still loves you. And I don't want you to mess up. He wants you to live your, your life like him, serving and being and doing the things that he's called us to do. But he doesn't give up on us when we fail. Let me say one last thing, a takeaway, really, that's not on the screen, but I think it's really, really important. Why could Jesus do what he did? Why, why, was, why, why? why did he just wrap that towel around and go to business, go to town? Why? Why, why could he do that? And it's really simple. Jesus could do what he did because he knew who he was. Jesus knew who he belonged to. He didn't live for the approval of them. He didn't live for the approval of people. He lived for the approval of God. He knew who he belonged to. He knew who he was. Do you know who you belong to? Do you know who you belong to? We're just about finished. I'm actually going to let you out before that second. I made it to the first bell. Uh, I, you're going to have an opportunity uh, here in just a few minutes to, to make no doubt about who you belong to. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, if you've found yourself maybe living that contradiction and confusing the world because you haven't been living the way God, you're going to have an opportunity to, to repent and to call on His name, and I hope you'll take advantage of it. I hope that you'll know who you belong to so that you can do the same things that our master did. Let me pray for you and we'll be done. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this great church. I'm so impressed by all that I see in this place. Just so many wonderful things happening, Father. You're giving them an increase and I'm so excited to see it. I pray that increase is just beginning and that the harvest is going to continue to come and come and come. And Father, that everyone here will, will get excited about being together. And, and Father, they will... They will bend the knee to each other and, and show a watching world your son. Father, bless them. And tonight, help us to, uh, to always be about your business, to, uh, to know who we belong to, to know that we're yours and that we don't have to live for the approval of men or others. We can just live for your approval, and that's the best way to live. God, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for this time we've been able to be together tonight. And I ask your richest blessings on us as we leave this place, as we go into the world. Help us to demonstrate the love of God. Help us to never confuse people about who you are by watching our actions. Let us be more and more and more molded into your image every single day. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.